You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Good GP. My name is Christina and today I am joined by accredited practicing dietitian Annalie Houston to discuss nutritional and dietetic support around the time of bariatric surgery. Thanks so much, Annalie, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful. Yeah, and you've got a vast amount of experience, we're just saying, almost coming up to 15 years of experience working with surgeons and obviously helping patients with their journey through bariatric surgery. So I really appreciate your help today in unpacking this a bit for GPs around Australia. So let's get into it then. I want to ask you, first of all, in terms of the lead up to weight loss surgery and what patients need to consider in terms of their diet and nutrition in the lead up to surgery, first of all. Sure. So usually in the practice that I work with the surgeon, he likes me to see the patient quite early on just to explain what is involved in their nutrition changes after surgery. So I do spend a bit of time talking to the patient about what to expect for their journey after surgery. So just to let them know of things such as the importance of returning to see the dietitian and the surgeon ongoing, the need for long-term supplementation of multivitamins and minerals, and just to let them know that the surgery is really just a tool for weight loss and that they are aware of those things to make the best informed decision as to whether they want to go ahead with the surgery or not. They might come back and see me once they've made a decision around three to four weeks before the surgery date, once that's decided. And we usually talk then about the pre-op diet, which involves a prescription of a very low energy dense meal replacement shake, such as an OptiFast. And they need to have that between about two and three weeks before the surgery date to reduce the size of the liver, which helps to reduce intraoperative complications. So they do this in the lead up and ensure that they're ready for the actual surgery date. Okay, great. So very low calorie diet in those couple of weeks in the lead up. So then let's hit the post-op part because that's where I guess things can get pretty tricky for patients and for those supporting them. So, you know, what do we need to know about what they can expect in that post-operative phase? Yeah, sure. So we usually let them know just before surgery what to do for the two weeks after surgery, and that's usually liquids only. However, it's important that they choose liquids that are high in protein and they are encouraged to use something similar to the very low energy dense meal replacement shake. However, they can usually only get a very small volume of that in at one time. So it requires a lot of sipping of that throughout the day as well as water in addition to that to prevent dehydration. So they, I usually do see them a week after surgery to see how they're going on that stage and then encourage them after two weeks to progress to more of a pureed diet. That's as per the patient can tolerate the pureed. Some find that the wound is quite swollen and they can't get much down at one time. So it's then that I really start to reinforce the importance 
importance of that chewing action to help with digestion, but also just slowing down with what they're consuming because it's usually if they're having something quite fast that it might come up and feel uncomfortable at that time. So it's the first four weeks that is really important for the patient to follow dietary instructions because that's when it's most likely that a leak may occur that may bring them back to hospital as well as other things such as dehydration that would lead to constipation and so forth. So we sort of do keep in touch quite like those two appointments are quite important after surgery, one at one week, one at three weeks. And then after four weeks after surgery, they should feel comfortable enough to progress onto a more soft diet to normal diet. So everyone's quite different and it's really important that they, again, just take their time with their liquids and, and food as they progress on weeks after surgery. Yeah, that's interesting. Would you say there's kind of an average time frame to get back to like a fairly normal texture diet? We say around eight weeks. It does depend on the texture and also the moisture of foods. If they're adding extra liquid, such as gravies, they're able to get a little bit more down and it's the way they might tenderize their meat for example they can chew well enough to then make it tender enough to swallow and it really is really important for the patient to prioritize those foods that are high in protein and they are often the ones that are harder to chew and and go down but they just need to really take their time with eating and they should be able to get back to a normal diet with having had the sleeve or the bypass much easier than the previous surgeries that were done such as the lap band which made it quite uncomfortable for someone to eat certain foods such as whether it's chicken or lettuce or bread the surgeries that are done now more commonly it's much easier for people to eat a more normal textured diet yeah okay so what about monitoring of vitamins and minerals i imagine that you know these are the things that patients are at risk of developing various deficiencies and having inadequate intake over that time frame. So what do you recommend monitoring and how often should that be monitored? Yeah, sure. So um, initially, patients would usually get a baseline pathology done, which would include, uh, say, full blood count plus looking at iron status zinc, vitamin D, vitamin B12. They might have their HbA1c done as well as blood sugar level. The iron's usually corrected at the surgery time. And then it's in our practice, and I think I'm sure this is as per guidelines, it's a three-month test after that, which all of those are done again. And then three months after that, and usually it's every six months to 12 months long-term, which vitamin A are often included long-term. And yeah, all those have done again. And I guess, yeah, if you've obviously got patients on insulin or with diabetes, they're monitored more frequently in particular, just their random blood glucose levels become very important to monitor. And I'm often sending people back to their GP to get their insulin or medications adjusted because their blood glucose levels drop so dramatically after surgery with the weight loss. Yeah. Okay. Good tip. Now, in terms of then, I guess that leads on to supplements Mm. and what sort of supplements would be routinely recommended versus, you know, depending on deficiencies that arise, I guess. So I would have 
all of the supplement empty bottles on my desk in my consultation room to show how many bottles of supplements people actually will need each day for the rest of their life, which sometimes is really difficult for people that, for example, aren't on any medication at the moment and also for people thinking that they're hoping to get off medication forever and I'm I'm often reinforcing yes that they'll be taking other medication as you know not everyone is good at doing that each day so getting people into the habit early on of taking a multivitamin and mineral supplement morning and afternoon for better absorption we encourage a citricol D which is better absorbed after a bypass to get calcium and vitamin D iron is one that uh, you can take an iron supplement, but often people are needing infusions such as a vitamin B12. People are often getting injections every three months because they aren't great at taking those particular ones and they are obviously important as you'd know because people become so fatigued with having that low calorie intake plus having uh, a lot of patients already have anemia. The other supplements, yeah, so then there's the vitamin A as well and and the zinc so initially we encourage people take a chewable one and there's a particular brand that I recommend just because I know it's good and then in addition I guess to the OptiFast even first initially starting people should start to take a fiber supplement such as say Benny Fiber and then there's all these protein supplements that are also on the market and available, which are handy for people, particularly in the liquid stage, to add these proteins into their water or their food. But we really encourage that they use protein sources from food long term. So unless they're going to the gym and really needing extra, or they're not very good at having breakfast, so they have protein in their smoothie in the morning, that's the only other supplement that people might need long term is extra protein. Yeah, and people that love the the gym that just can't meet their requirements really. Yeah, so there's actually a lot to consider, isn't it? I mean, now a lot of supplement stores will have a whole bariatric surgery section, which people can go to and get all of what they need. So it's a bit more normalized than years ago when I first started it was just sort of like okay take a multivitamin mineral supplement whatever you can find see you later so we know a bit more now about deficiencies and the important ones and then the I think we're getting better at monitoring those levels as well and feeling more comfortable to do that monitoring as well sometimes it feels really invasive to get people to continually do blood tests but I guess from the beginning to reinforce the importance of it is also good let's talk about complications then I guess, consequences. If patients aren't sticking to these kind of recommended nutritional support and the recommended dietary guidelines, you know, perioperatively, then, you know, what are the risks associated with that? I mean, initially, there's obviously the risk of having a a leak if they've not stuck to the liquids and, and purees and they've punctured a staple or something. And I guess the the one that I try to really reinforce is the consequence of not eating and drinking and reinforcing that don't wait to feel hungry or thirsty before you do eat and drink because they've had such a reduction in their ghrelin hormone, the appetite stimulant hormone. They, they won't feel hungry and they actually enjoy that feeling, but then they've missed six hours of opportunity of eating and they become extremely fatigued and it's only a little bit of nourishment that they need but they really need that regularly 
throughout the day. And that's a hardest thing for a lot of people who usually say skip breakfast, go all day drinking perhaps coffee or an iced coffee and then have this huge meal at night time. I'd encourage that they, you know, set timers on their watch or their phone or their computer throughout the day to remind them to to take little bits of protein or sip on fluid. And yeah, and that's also to prevent that dehydration that can occur so quickly. And then I guess they also might get hungry at nighttime and overeat at that time. And that just can then expand the pouch and over time their pouch becomes bigger and then they can fit in more food. That's the same if they drink and eat at the same time. They can, again, expand the pouch and food can slide down much easier. And then that's a big predictor for weight regain and the reason we sort of talk about protein to the patient so much is to prevent as much as we can too much muscle wasting we can't prevent it I guess because it's something that happens when you lose weight you also lose muscle but it can just be a bit helpful to retain people's muscle mass as much as possible and then yeah so they're the sort of the consequences of not sticking to the recommended eating plans however it's such a change in people's usual eating pattern it's sort of I just try to provide some compassion to people because I I understand it's really difficult and I don't want that patient not to come back and problem solve and troubleshoot with me because unfortunately they will feel shamed by a dietitian if I do bring those sorts of things in so the the regular eating pattern of new like having planned healthy protein rich food available to them is often what people uh, hate me saying because it's the same sort of thing that they've heard from a dietitian all the years before it's just become so important after surgery because they'll become too tired if they do sort of miss meals yeah absolutely And the only other consequence, if they have too much sugar, simple sugar at one time, they may experience dumping syndrome. And that is similar to what a low blood glucose level might feel. And they'll get a hypo feeling or they'll just get this onset of loose bowel motion. And so usually people let people know about that consequence and that complication. However, they usually experience it themselves by trying whether it's ice cream or chocolate or, or soft drink themselves, and they learn kind of the hard way. <laughs> so, yeah, it is, yeah, it, I guess the surgery is a, sort of a tool, but it's a, it's a tool to really reinforce all of the healthy eating patterns suggestions that dietitians have told them over the many years to help them to lose weight and then keep it off long term. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess probably also... Uh, you know, shines a light a bit on the importance of kind of the psychological support around it too, because I think patients who are used to, you know, potentially binge eating on some of those simple sugars, if they then don't work on some of the psychological reasons behind that, you know, that if that continues postoperatively, it can really be quite disabling in terms of those dumping symptoms and, and especially with potentially expanding the pouch, like you mentioned, longer term. So having that multidisciplinary approach is yeah. really helpful for these patients. Yeah, absolutely. And I used, it's interesting because it used to be a big no-no for people with binge eating disorder. However, 
like a few different psychologists might support someone to go through the surgery process with psychology support. So it's very much patients go through this huge grieving process of not being able to use the large amount of food for comfort that they did previously. And certainly patients can really slump into depression from that. So it's a very different way of coping for some people. So bearing on to a psychologist in that particular area of weight management is really important. Yeah, excellent. And can I ask one last question sort of around that as well in terms of weight loss and potentially when weight loss becomes too excessive you will get the patient that just continues to keep losing weight even when they're past their sort of goal or target do you have any tips around supporting patients at that point yeah that would be probably more psychological however it could be mechanical as well so the the surgeons usually would review patients every 12 months ongoing forever so that's the suggested guidelines because whether something's happened in the surgery process that has caused a real malabsorption too um, harmful then it's probably more of the surgeon can say what has actually occurred and what to look out for it's interesting the patients that actually as much protein and supplements they're taking they just become so malnourished and find it difficult to continue to maintain their weight however it's yeah it's usually the psychologist that says which which one it is because people obviously love that feeling of being smaller and they they you know they might not be able to turn to food but you know there's a tendency to turn to exercise and then they can become obsessive with exercise as well so again with that multidisciplinary team to identify what sort of supports that person might need and the thing with weight loss is everyone compliments people on weight loss there's a lot of body image things that happen with people as well that they think that they have to keep going to get people's approval and there's yeah there's so much psychology around food and and eating as I'm sure you're aware so it's yeah it's good to just read like I just usually reinforce that to the patient that you know there's a lot going on in their mind and one surgeon I work with he actually includes in his cost a an online and telephone coaching from psychologists for that lasts for like two years after surgery which I think is quite useful because it's about at the two years was about one year you stop really losing weight and at two years you're thinking okay I'm really done now I want to go back to my old habits and my old life so it's and you know they obviously can't do that as easily as what you would usually if you've lost weight in the past with diet Yeah, absolutely. So it's the short-term support and then it's knowing that this is also part of a bigger picture and a long-term journey and, you know, it's important that we're supporting our patients that entire way. Thanks so much, Annalie, for joining me today. I really appreciate the chat. It's been really informative. Thank you for having me. 